This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. In 1969, President Nixon, at the urging of Senator Bob Dole, a Republican, and Senator George McGovern, a Democrat, hosted the first ever White House Conference on Hunger. The results of that conference were amazing, and the programs that originated there are still making a difference today. The Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women infants and children, simply known as WIC, the law requiring labeling on our food, and the National School Lunch Program all came from this original conference. Over 50 years have passed, and not one other president thought enough of the issue of hunger in America to follow up on the 1969 conference. Not Ford, not Carter, not Reagan, not Bush 41, not Clinton, not Bush 43, and not even President Obama, and not Trump. But the current president, urged by our own Senator Stabenow, Senator Mike Braun from Indiana, and Representative McGovern from Massachusetts, all urged President Biden to host a conference on hunger, nutrition, and health. And he did. And I was invited to attend. A handful of hunger leaders from across the United States gathered in D.C. to discuss what and how do we take hunger off the table for all Americans. It was inspiring to see the issue of food security brought to the level of national attention by the president himself and to hear the earnest desire to see children, seniors, and working families get out from under the toxic stress that comes from living a food-insecure life. There is lots to discuss regarding the White House plan, and to help me and Jerry, I welcome my esteemed colleague, Lisa Hamler-Fugit, the CEO of the Ohio Association of Food Banks and a longtime hunger warrior who attended the White House conference with me. Lisa has a great perspective on how far this work has come and how far this plan can take us in our pursuit to rid America of its hunger problem. Lisa, Jerry, and I are back to unpack the White House plan to address hunger in America on this thrilling edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. It's great to be with you. Thanks, Jerry. Good to see you in the studio here. It's always a pleasure. Well, and our guest, without further ado, as uh, everyone has heard, is our, our my colleague from Ohio, who is the executive director for the Ohio Association of Food Banks, Lisa Hamler-Fugit. And Lisa, this is your first time on Food First Michigan, so welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Phil and Jerry. It's quite an honor. Well, it's great to have you. And the first thing we want to do is um, ask you to tell a little bit about your story, um, about how did you end up being the executive director for the Ohio Association of Food Banks, and, um, and just introduce yourself to our listeners. 
Well, thank you. Um, I serve as the executive director of uh, the Ohio Association of Food Banks. We represent the 12 Feeding America food banks and some 3,600 member charities. Those are food pantries, soup kitchens, homeless shelter, both emergency and supplemental food providers. And I came to this wor- uh, to this work from a corporate background. So I am an accountant by trade and restructured international debt much of which had been extended during the oil crisis of the 1970s. And as I watched corporate profits soar, I saw that workers who were making those corporate profits possible being asked to take um, more concessions, uh, um, their wages being frozen, they were having to pay more for their health care benefits, and just an overall kind of decline. Um, And that was in um, the mid-'80s, and I decided that I could stay there and be a part of the problem, or I could leave and be a part of the solution, where I believe that people who work every day should not have to make difficult choices between a roof over my head or food on my table or opportunities for their families to thrive. So I took um, my skill set, which was accounting, and had the opportunity to begin working at a nonprofit anti-hunger organization uh, as their fiscal director, but I also got the bug of outreach and began learning about child nutrition programs and then organizing around child nutrition programs, specifically a campaign to expand the school breakfast program in the state of Ohio. And uh, that led me into the early days of welfare reform. Um, in 88, the Job Opportunities and Basic Skills Training Program into waivers of the mid-90s, and then the Personal Responsibility Work Opportunity Reconciliation Act, or the 1996 Welfare Reform Legislation, which a lot of people don't realize that it ended a 60-year entitlement to basic income for uh, women and their children and turned over to states, big block grants. Um, and uh, the majority of the cuts that came down in that 1996 welfare reform bill came from the food stamp program at the time, and I began to network with food banks and ask them how they were going to fill a billion-dollar hole in the first five years in the loss of food stamp benefits and had the opportunity to become their registered uh, lobbyist in 1996 and that's all she wrote. I've been here since then, <laughs> some 27 years. <laughs> that is a great summary. I mean, there is so much in that story. It, it's all these waves, right? All these waves of things that have happened and things that have changed. And I will say, working with you, with the other food banks around the country, you are always one of those people we turn to to say, how did that happen? <laughs> what was the reason for that? How did that come about? And uh, you certainly bring a ton of wisdom and experience to the table on all of the issues. But I think heartening for me is that in spite of the challenges and in spite of the ups and downs, um, you're one of the people that always says, you know, we got to do what we got to do. And these times call for this. And so let's get to it. And you, you're just one of those people that's always got a hand on the plow. Uh, and, you know, whatever field we got to till and whatever rocks are in it, okay, we're we're going to make our way through this, and I really, really appreciate that about you. Well, thank you. And, you know, we're here merely as humble servants to 
help bring the resources to the folks who toil every day on the front lines in this fight against hunger and poverty, whether it's the farmers that grow our food or the volunteers that are working at the member agency level or the great unsung heroes at the food bank level who haven't caught a break um, for years now, especially as they served on the front lines of hunger relief. It's the people that work every day to grow our food, to bring our food to our tables who also are struggling with hunger. And in the richest nation on earth, we can make a difference. We must make a difference or we're not going to be viable uh, as a civil society. So before we get into the details of the White House conference and what it was and what it could mean for us, uh, I want you to try and pick through your, your you know, annals of work and give us one of your favorite accomplishments in the years that you've been doing this work. One of the things that you say, man, I am really glad that happened. Well, what a great segue to talk about the link between Ohio and Michigan and the Food Bank Council and our food banks collectively working together. You had a wonderful agriculture clearance program that you had started in Michigan. Specifically, it was public dollars, as I recall, that you were using as food banks to purchase up surplus uh, food, and I believe it was cherries at the time as a large cherry-producing state, and I believe it was, was it called the MASS program? It is. You're going strong. MASS program, and we said, you know what? There's a lot of rivalry between Michigan and Florida. I want to try to see if we can replicate that program in Ohio. So we mirrored your legislation, and that was the first foray that we took to the Ohio General Assembly. And they kind of liked the idea that uh, we had gotten this program idea out of Michigan and that we were wanted to scale it and make it even larger. And that was called the Ohio Agriculture Clearance Program, where we receive public dollars that are appropriated by our governor, through our Ohio General Assembly, and it allows us to work with a group of about 100 farmers, growers, and commodity producers to purchase their surplus or unmarketable agricultural products, everything from 40 different types of fruits and vegetables, as well as protein items. And that program now has grown to our largest program that that is able to get healthy, wholesome food onto the dinner plates of struggling, low-income, hungry Ohioans. So now it tell is- us, tell us, Lisa, what's the number we have to beat to, to put <laughs> Michigan back on top? What's the number we have to beat? Well, our, uh, that, the Ohio Agriculture Clearance Program and its, its sister program called the Ohio Food Program that allows us to purchase shelf-stable items, but they work together as one. Uh, this year, it's $24.55 million per year with some supplemental dollars that come around, another $12 million that we got in the Just a little care. $12 million more, yeah. <laughs> and we just landed another $15 in ARPA, 
American Rescue Plan dollars that's going to fund a real exciting commodity program where we're going to work with Ohio protein commodity producers to get the healthy, wholesome protein uh, that we desperately need. Again, protein is extremely expensive yeah. right now. Yeah. So, again, these are great public-private partnerships that we can all be winners on. A win-win-win, taking public dollars, linking agriculture producers to food banks, to hungry friends and neighbors in our communities. It's smart work. It's smart work. And when we talk about, you know, the work uh, in, in its many facets, we, we always say we have to do both more and better. And this is an example of that. It's more, but it's also better because of all the levers that it pulls in the economy and in farming and in, you know, how we support the whole infrastructure of of the food safety net, if you will, from the grower through to distribution to families. It's awesome. It's awesome. But I want to get Stephanie Johnson on the line and, and tell her the numbers at least fifty one million, and that's if Lisa stops now. Well, <laughs> Stephanie's our lobbyist, Lisa. So she's oh. yeah, she's uh. But you know, I, I will just we got to take a quick break here. But let me say this about the mass program that went to Ohio, and I noticed y'all did have to change the name, you know, because <laughs> I guess OS wouldn't have really worked, but, you know, but, but you know, this program is now in, in, in 39 other states as well, mm-hmm. and I think Michigan can be proud that it started here, but I think, Lisa, you guys have taken it to, you know, the level that it really should be, and so it's, it's huge congratulations to you. But as promised, uh, we're going to unpack a little bit of this White House plan to address hunger across the nation. This is, uh, this is Jerry Brisson. He is the CEO at Gleaners and the chair of the Food Bank Council Board of Directors. I'm Dr. Phil Knight and our special guest, Lisa Hamler-Fugit, who is the CEO for the Ohio Association of Food Banks. We're all three back with you in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks, everyone. We're back with you. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, and our guest, Elisa Hamler-Fugit, who is the CEO at the Ohio Association of Food Banks. My colleague, by the way, and uh, Elisa, I think, what is there, 24, 23 or 24 of us uh, in the entire across the entire planet who do this job of leading a, a state association within the Feeding America Network? There, there are a, just a handful of us. That's correct, Phil. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, there are days that, that sometimes feel pretty overwhelming, but to know that we've got partners in other states that we can reach out to that are also uh, dealing with a lot of the same challenges. It's it's uplifting to me, and thank you for, for your camaraderie and support. Well, it's, it's right back at you. Um, you know, we we have a great group. Uh, you guys got to meet last week in, um, in Chicago uh, for a Feeding America meeting, and uh, at your recommendation, <coughs> I attended a White House uh, meeting, but uh, that's we'll unpack that one at another show. But what I'd like for us to do right now is um, is to unpack the conference that you and I attended a few weeks ago 
the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. And I had the opportunity to sit with you um, in the in the meeting where the president actually spoke. And it was pretty cool to be in a room with the president of the United States and have him lift up this work of, of food banks and of feeding America and the work of creating food security across the nation. And he would do that by saying, um, if you have a if you have a child who's hungry and and you put that child to bed and you're the parent and you don't have any food to give that child, the president of the United States said, "What the hell else matters?" And I I could see on your face these years that you have invested your one handful of life in this work. I, I it was at a very emotional moment for you. And I would just wonder, Lisa, if you would unpack that for our listeners just a little bit. What did it mean to be in that room, to have the President of the United States lift this issue of hunger up to a national priority? What did that mean for you after all this time and all the energy and effort you put into this work? You know, I I think for any of us that were there, but also those who have worked for months, to get us to this point, you know, 50 years. Hmm. It took a president and an administration 50 years to pull together a conference to really bring the whole of government to address these issues that continue to plague us. And it was um, – I was uplifted, and I need to tell you that it gave me a shot of energy and a renewal and a commitment to see our president, not just our president, but cabinet leaders, members of Congress, people from the private sector, businesses, other areas of government, agriculture, philanthropists, academics, all there with the single purpose of how do we bring together both public and private sector resources to say that we have got to set an ambitious goal of how do we ensure by 2030 that we have cut hunger at least in half, but we're bringing a goal of ending hunger in America, increasing healthy eating and physical activities. This is a health care issue. This is a worker productivity issue. This is an education issue. And that as Americans, we need to be doing everything in our power to look at the whole of America approach at facing these really serious challenges that plague us, including the area of diet-related diseases, which is where we're spending all of our health care money on a sick health care system. Uh, food is medicine, food is health. <laughs> There's a lot just in that last sentence that could take, you know, five shows worth of conversation about the healthcare system and how it works and how it doesn't. But let's 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 get to the USDA in particular because a lot of what's going to happen through what was announced is going to flow through the USDA, someplace that we work very closely with. We're not really sure yet how these priorities that were outlined in the conference are going to be actually lived out, right? All that conversation is going on. But just to frame up 
just taking the USDA as an example, the budget for the USDA in 2022 was $442 billion. They have 100,000 employees at 4,500 locations, and their budget is broken into 22 subcomponents, the biggest of which is food and nutrition. Right? It's almost $300 billion is the food and nutrition part. I think it's $289 billion. So, so those are some pretty big numbers when you start, when you start to say, well, what's possible? And, and the reason I wanted to start with that is because fundamentally, we don't think that just saying we need more is going to cut it. We're going to have to look at both more and better if we're really going to address these priorities that have come out of the White House and that really defined the opportunity that's in front of us right now. So you walk out the door, they've laid out their priorities, they've had key staff people there. As you say, okay, here's what I think I need to do next, or here's what I think we need to do next, what comes top of mind for you as you were walking out the door going, okay, I've been around this work for 27 years. I've worked hard. I know these programs like the back of my hand. What do we got to do next? Wow, that's a big one, Jerry. Uh, <laughs> it's all. We, we, we can't focus on any one areas. And, and again, I want to bring your listeners' attention to the strategy. There is an actual blueprint that you can go to the White House and download, and it's called the White House National Strategy on Hunger, Health, and Nutrition, and it addresses these five pillars of activities that are going to get us to this goal. And when I say the whole of government, it really needs to be the whole of government. First and foremost, what I am excited about is that um, some of the greatest challenges of our time, which is really around climate change, economic viability of our communities, what's happening with extreme climates, is that this is going to come from solutions from the land. And how we do that is through our food systems, how we grow our food, who grows our food, how we access our food. So certainly improving food access and affordability is one. How do we integrate food into our health strategies? And how are we helping to educate our consumers? We all eat. Everybody eats. Everybody's got a stake in this. Are we producing the right kinds of food, and does the industry really understand what this food consumption means to our overall health, health of humans, health of the land? Um, so two things struck me, and this was a diverse group. So trying to reach a common goal on any one or two things that got an overwhelming applause, cheers from the crowd, standing ovations, there were two things. And they were both pandemic air policies that the government had implemented during the height of the pandemic. One was universal free school meals for all, school breakfast and lunch, regardless of the zip code that you live in. I wish I wish support. we could hear the applause right now. I really <laughs> wish we could. It was standing ovation because Lisa and I were two of the ones that were standing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the second one was putting money in the pockets of people who work every day, and that's families. And that was the the child tax credit, 
That child tax credit brought down child poverty by 40%. It moved people out of our food bank lines and into grocery store checkout lines. Overwhelming support. Congress, in a matter of national security and national policy, must move to implement and make those programs permanent. Those were my two walkaways. So what did I do? If you're not going to do it at the federal level, we're going to come back and we're going to move it at the state level. So we're looking at universal school meals for all. Uh, a, a campaign to drive that potentially is a, 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 a constituent-driven statute in the state of Ohio. States are flush with cash right now uh, because of all of this pandemic era relief. We're looking at surpluses as far as the eye can see. We need our politicians investing in making work pay. We should see state um, child tax credits to put more money in the pockets of people that work every day and to make sure that those investments are made in our kids. Um, so I could go through a whole lot list. That's the short list. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a really list. good list. That's a really good <laughs> list. And we're, we're going to, yeah. you know, I think, you know, we're talking about the how mass and and the Ohio system of, of, of rescuing food, how that was a great partnership then. I think this can be a very, very much a regional partnership now on passing working to pass some of these legislative at the federal level but also here at the state level but you two y'all are having a great conversation i love listening to you but we got to take a quick break here and we're going to come back with one more segment with lisa that's jerry i'm phil we're all three back with you you come back and be with us Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson and our special guest, Lisa Hamler-Fugit, who is the CEO for the Ohio Association of Food Banks. And, you know, I know it's football season. I'm kind of dating the show here, but forget that. Forget Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State and all that business. This is something far more important. It's about regional cooperation to get policies passed that affect folks that are struggling under the toxic stress of food insecurity. So Lisa, I'm glad that you're our friend, our colleague, and I'm, you know, I'm so glad that you have this perspective about this work. To hear you say, coming out of the White House conference on hunger, nutrition, and health, it was a shot in the arm. It was, it's like we've been waiting for someone to to take this that had the position and the authority and the power to say this work is important and here it is and it happened on that day absolutely and like i said this is a bold blueprint a lot of us are doing this work locally certainly we know where food comes from and i think that that's one of the things that as all of us whether you work in the hunger field or you're just a consumer you know, we need to make more connections <clears throat> to the producers of our food. We are fortunate um, in the Midwest to be uh, in proximity to some of the, the richest farmland, some of the most committed farmers, growers, and commodity producers that know that many of the solutions that we face, the biggest, the biggest challenges that we face is our time are going to come from our food systems and healthy water, healthy soil, healthy air. 
and that we need to be bringing, as as this White House said, the whole of government to this response. We see what happens when people don't have access to the resources that they need in order to eat a, a healthy, nutritious food, to engender an active, healthy life. And again, uh, we can it's pay me now or pay me later. And we've been doing a lot of pay me later, whether it's kids who fail to thrive, uh, certainly within the water crisis that you experienced, we know that food could have a major impact in lessening the impact of lead exposure to families being productive, kids in the classroom learning, uh, parents being able to be productive, but more importantly, our seniors, this greatest generation, who because of high inflationary costs are making the trade-offs between food, medicine, and food and other basic needs. We have the resources. We need to make sure that those resources are dedicated um, to uh, our food systems. And again, um, there's a lot here that we can do regionally, and I'm really looking forward to that. Certainly working across state lines in the local food purchase cooperative agreements, doing more cross uh, state collaborations to make really historic investments in our land, our farms, our markets, and our commercial uh, districts uh, to be more self-reliant within that 400-mile footprint of food production. Um, and you guys have done some really great things. But what I what I always say to my local elected leaders is, as agricultural states, our budgets, our state budgets, generally don't reflect that. Uh, the departments of agriculture are are oftentimes the most poorly resourced of all state government. And if we could just take a little bit of the money that we spend in our health departments, whether it's child health or adult health in our Medicaid programs, and invest those in our food systems, especially our emergency food systems, to make them more resilient, we would have far better outcomes. And I think collectively working together, we can do that. I want to add one thought to that, Lisa, because I couldn't agree more. Everything you said is, is I think, right on point, and particularly when it comes to the departments of agriculture and, and how they can make a difference. We saw pretty clearly in the pandemic how fragile the food supply chain can be, right? We saw it. And the answer, or at least part of the answer, is to develop an agricultural system that's not so reliant on a few choke points, right? We got to broaden the number of places that food can come from and go to so that if one part breaks down, another part can pick up the slack. I think I think that was one of the key learnings from uh, from the pandemic, and it's still happening today. We're still struggling with some of those key choke points. Some of it's transportation related, some of it's processing related, some of it's grower related. But the nice thing about the the uh, Ohio and Michigan um, agriculture surplus work is that it is directly impacting how many farms can continue to operate. We, we're looking at milk as a key area. We've grown the distribution of it significantly in Michigan. It's one of the things our consumers want and need the most. We know there are hundreds of dairy uh, family, small dairy families that are that are you know really just trying to make it in a vastly fluctuating market. That's just one example of an area we think there's promise in how public, private, and nonprofit partnerships can really work together to to really strengthen the whole system so that we don't have these food supply chain issues. 
I could not agree more. You've hit the nail on the head with dairy, one of the greatest sources of protein. And as, you know, we're aging states, so we need to make sure that our elderly have access to the protein that they need so they're going to have strong hearts and strong bones. And one of the things is is milk, Uh, milk products within dairy. Uh, We've got producers who aren't able to even recover their operational cost because of all the supply chain issues, a lack of processing, a lack of markets. We need to be making those investments. If we have an overabundance of fluid milk, how do we get that processed into other types of a dairy product, certainly within the area of yogurt, cottage cheese, or cheese, which is a really big one for us. You know, fluid milk, and you both know this, when we had the, the dairy disaster program and we were moving fluid milk, it wasn't just uh, uh, 1%, 2%, or whole milk, but those families, I stood in those lines as families came through and we were offering fresh milk and I asked, how many gallons of milk would you like? And they said, how many gallons can I have? Right. Said, right. I have four teenagers, and they drink milk like water. Well, here, take the milk. Families can't afford this often because of where they live and the cost associated with it. So here, again, this is a health issue. Um, and, and being able to support our local producers our local processors, those are jobs, that's health, that's, you know, onto the dinner plates and into the refrigerators of our families, all struggling. Um, you've hit a, 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 a warm spot for me, which is dairy. I just had one of my food banks tell me with this additional funding that we're getting that they're going to do only <clears throat> they're only going to buy two commodities with their share, and it's going to be fluid milk and eggs. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's great. It. Well, you know, yep. listening to you two describe this, it, it it touches three of the of the White House plans and the, of the five pillars. It touches at least three of them. And the first one is improved food access and affordability. Lisa just told a story about how many gallons of milk can I have, and the reason is because people can, it's hard to afford. Eggs are 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 astronomical now. The second pillar it touches is how do we integrate food insecurity or food security into nutrition and health. And, you know, we, t- we, haven't, we don't have really time today, but, I mean, we need to unpack this White House plan in regard to chronic disease because we have a role to play for sure. And the third pillar that this touches is enhanced nutritional and food security research. Since I met Jerry Brisson eight years ago, one of the first things Jerry said was, until food banks understand their impact, what difference does the food make to the families? We will never truly be able to understand how important our work is. And I think this pillar right here, we are talking about milk or eggs or dairy or protein or whatever it is that we're distributing, we have to research and be open to what difference does the food make. Now, we think it makes a tremendous difference. But what we what we what we think and what we know are two different things, and that's what the White House is calling for. Absolutely, we need our clinicians that work in our healthcare systems understanding that food is medicine, food is health. 
those interventions, taking and bending that healthcare cost curve, taking money out of our private health insurance market, our Medicaid and Medicare, and redirecting that into nutrition interventions is the single most important thing that we can do in the short term to improve health and reduce diet-related diseases. Um, we have a sick healthcare system, and we need to be able to turn it turn it on its head by ensuring that we have access uh, to healthy, wholesome, nutritious food, diet-related diseases, and obesity attention. All right, Lisa, we got a few more minutes before we're going to have to wrap up. So, if you think about the one thing you're going to do next week or the next week, or you know, the thing that you're going to tee up and move forward, what is it? Wow. We are the state's lead navigator for the Affordable Care Act, so we're going into open enrollment season. My number one thing is, as uh, as uh, Dr. Phil just talked about, is that we need to make sure that we are really focused on uh, evidence-based intervention strategies, and one of those is that we're going to try to secure what's called an 1115 demonstration waiver from the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare to allow us to do healthy food prescription programs. Those are fruit and vegetable prescription and voucher programs to get medical professionals writing prescriptions to ensure that people that are presenting with diet-related diseases, primarily diabetes, hypertension, are able to access the healthy, wholesome food that they need to treat their diet-related diseases. All right, well, you let us know what your number is so we can do better. Jerry and I are back in just a moment to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. Jerry, I love having Lisa on the show. She's the best. Time for a little food for thought. The time to act is now. The resources are available and we have smart people like Jerry and Lisa to help us. We start this work by putting and keeping food first, folks, food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.